So Money Episode 706, Libby Moore, former Chief of Staff to Oprah Winfrey, now Executive Coach and International Speaker. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, wishing you a happy Wednesday, March 21st. Imagine working every day side by side with Oprah. Yes, that Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. And that was our guest's life for 11 years. Libby Moore is here. She was Oprah Winfrey's chief of staff. And for over 10 years, she managed a team of Oprah's personal assistants. She joined the talk show queen as she traveled the globe. She managed hundreds of emails for Oprah every single day. And you can imagine after leaving a job like that, you might want some time off. And so Libby decided to embark on what she called the Libby Moore Gypsy Tour, 365 days of adventures and seeing where life would take her. Today, Libby is an executive coach and international speaker, and I'm so excited to say she's on the show. I have so many questions, including what was it like being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey for a job? Not because you won an Oscar or you're running for president, but actually to work for her. What's that like? Here is Libby Moore. Libby Moore, welcome to So Money. It's so great to connect with you. I'm so happy, happy to have this opportunity. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Where do we begin? For 11 years, you were chief of staff to Oprah Winfrey. Today, you are running all over the world, giving amazing speeches. You're an executive coach. And I guess I want to ask first, how is your life today so different than what, than what it was being Oprah's chief of staff. I know that one of the reasons you stepped away from that job after more than 10 years was because you wanted to have more balance. It was hard to manage all of those hours working 15, sometimes longer hours a day. How is life today? Good question. So um, first of all, that experience was hands down the best professional experience of my life. As you can imagine, it, she is an extraordinary person. And the experiences that I had with her have just been unparalleled. I mean, it was just, it's sometimes when people say, tell me about that job, I just get stuck because there is so much, (laughs) so, so many amazing things. It's kind of like, where do I even begin? That was incredible. And then, um, I left that position, um, six years ago, this past January, I cannot believe how quickly the time has flown. And at the time when I was with her, um, as anyone could imagine, you know, I was managing a team of five assistants and oversaw other different teams on, on her, on her staff. And it was a 24 seven job. So for almost 11 years, I think it was 10 years in, um, uh, like nine, 10 months or something like that. It was 24 seven, meaning I was on call 24 seven and it was a lot of travel and a lot of, um, information managing and flow. So I went from that to 
stepping out January 1st, 2012 and deciding I'm going to take a year off and call it the Libby Moore Gypsy Tour, which was 365 days of following my heart. And that was really a leap of faith because I did not know what I wanted to do after that. So cut to six years later, the short version is my life is drastically different. Um, I basically have created my life so that I have a lot of space and time to think, meditate, journal, connect with myself, connect with other people. When I'm meeting with people, um, it's heart to heart and energy to energy, whether we're on a coaching call or we're meeting in person, that's what I love doing. I don't, I used to be on my phone constantly checking, texting, uh, stepping out to take calls. And that is the exact opposite of what my life is now. So it's a lot of coaching people. It's doing speaking engagements around the world. Um, Oh, and, and interesting different collaborations, creative collaborations. I always say I'm open to what's next. I don't know what it is, but I know it's coming. And I like energetically opening myself to that. And the, the main thing is that I have so much space and time to really think. It, it sounds so simple and it's a huge luxury. You sound so enlightened and I can't be surprised by that. You spent a better part of 10 years alongside one of the most enlightened people on the planet uh, who's dedicated her life to enlightening others. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to your first day. Well, even before then, the interview mm. uh, with Oprah. Um, how first did you can prepare I just and how did it go? I am going to, I am going to answer that, but first I want to go back to the enlightenment comment. I would say when you say you sound so enlightenment, I love that you say that. Um, <laughs> that's probably because I meditated and, you know, uh -huh. smudged the room with sage before I did this call. Cause I like to get in the zone. Um, it, but you know, I'm a, I am working on myself every day, just as I'm helping clients, uh, you know, help bring themselves into a higher vibration, their higher self. So I just want to be clear about that. I love that you, that, that that's what I sound like. And I'm working on myself every day. Um, it's a process. It's not a, it is, a destination. Yes, yes, exactly. There's no finish line for anybody, even if you're the Pope mm -hmm. or anybody in a, a high level position, even spiritual high level positions, they are still working on themselves. So I just wanted to make that no, point. I, I thank you for making that distinction. I think that's really honest and true. Yeah. And, and so you had said that when people ask you about what was it like working for Oprah, it's like, you don't even know where to begin. So I will mm -hmm. ask an even more specific question is mm -hmm. great before you even started working for her and you knew you were going in for the interview and I'm sure there were many rounds. Mm -hmm. What can you share an, a story from that? And, um, how, how did you prepare? And, and maybe to mm -hmm. extrapolate, like how can we all prepare best for in interviews that may seem impossible or intimidating or larger than life? Well, I could, I'm going to tell you how I did it for myself and everybody's unique. So I don't think that the way that I prepared is the way that everybody should prepare because everybody's unique and different. And, and sure. um, the number one thing I would say is how do you prepare for any interview is how are you going to get into a zone of being yourself, you know, your most authentic ah. self. So that's that, that, that term being your authentic self is almost out because it's been used so much. Yeah. And yet it's still true. How can you walk into that interview and be 100% yourself? Because that is going to be the thing that makes it or break it, breaks it. If you're trying to be someone else to get this job, 
even if you get the job, ultimately it's not going to work because you're presenting someone that's not you. You know what I mean? Lying about what you do or uh, stuff like that or acting like you're all, I don't know. So the bottom line is just to be yourself. So for, for me, how I prepared for that, and I'm not a big um, preparer, like, oh, I have to go and, you know, study up on what's happening on the Oprah Winfrey show or at the foundation at all. I'm actually the antithesis. And I've become more so in the past six years. I haven't Googled people for meetings in, I think it's almost been six years, maybe five, let's just say five. But when I, even with this, I really don't know a lot about your show, except that it's about money. <laughs> and I, so because it's an experiment that I've been doing over the past five years, if, if I just meet people heart to heart, energy to energy, we either flow or we don't, and that's fine. It's not good or bad. And what happens when you just come from your 100% authentic self, from your heart? So that's a whole nother conversation, which is super interesting. Um, but we, with the interview for the prep, I really just um, got there early. It was at a hotel in New York City. And I had had several phone conversations with an executive recruiter in Chicago, the president of Harpo Film, uh, Harpo Productions, Tim Bennett at the time, the director of human resources. So I had all these phone calls prior to meeting Oprah in person in New York. And it was at this very nice, fancy hotel in New York City. I got there early. I went in the lobby. I sat in a corner somewhere, a quiet corner, and I really just... Uh, went into intentional thought, prayer, whatever you want to call it. I think it's the same thing to get in alignment with my higher self, higher, the universe, source, God, whatever you want to call it. I believe it's all the same thing. And we're arguing over what to call it. So I sat in this corner and I said, wow, you know, in my head, this thought out to the universe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm about to meet Oprah Winfrey and thank you for flowing through me. And when I say that, I mean higher energy, higher vibration. Thank you for flowing through every atom, cell, and molecule in my body, mind, soul, and spirit. And help me to be 100% myself. And if I am meant to have this job, thank you for making it clear to her and to me. And if I'm not supposed to get, have this job, wow, thank you for this opportunity to meet Oprah Winfrey. So the point is, is that I got into this mental state, this energetic state of gratitude, number one, and putting it out there that thank you, not like, please help me to be myself begging, but just saying to myself, thank you for this total confidence, calm, and, and being 100% myself. So once I walked into the um, lounge of this this hotel, can I just say I'm getting nervous for you a little bit? Like as you're <laughs> telling this story, like I, I'm rooting for you, and yet you still have to get into that room and face Oprah. Sure. Yes. Right. Okay. I love that you just said that because what's interesting <laughs> is that I have found, and also with clients that I've would I've shared this kind of general prayer slash intention with. Um, and I just want to make this note that people that I work with at some point in the early in the intro call, um, I find out kind of where they fall with their belief, not belief system, not like Christian or what, what's your religious thoughts, but just a very general question so that I can get their language. So some people in this case would be praying to God and some people in this case would be praying or not praying, just having this thought within their head to their higher intelligence, their higher self. And then there's a thousand different names we could fill in there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Do, do you know what I'm explaining? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, so once you set that intention and you do a three, you know, I tend to do three deep breaths and slow exhales. You are calm, you're cool, you're collected, and you are in alignment with your higher self. You just walk in, in that state and it can take 10 seconds or you could do it for 15 minutes, whatever. It's, it's about taking that, that moment to get in alignment with your higher self. So from the moment I stated that intention and gratitude and all that and make it clear to her and me, and then I walk up to the host uh, and said, you know, I'm Libby Moore. I'm here to see Miss Winfrey. And he took me over to this reserve table and I sat down. And then, you know, immediately after Tim Bennett, the president of Harpo had walked in and introduced himself. I had already had a call with him. And he said, uh, Oprah will be down in five minutes. She's on the phone with President Clinton right now. And oh him, right. This was October oh my of 2000. Gosh. So, uh, yeah, October of 2000. And in, I said, Oh, okay, great. And then in my head, I'm thinking, Oh my God, I can't believe it. She's on the line with the president. We're about to have this, I'm about to meet Oprah. I mean, it's very excited. And yet at the same time, very calm and Not just, just grounded. Meet Oprah, but she's going to interview you. Right. Don't we yeah. all want to be interviewed by Oprah, but not this kind right. of, I mean, <laughs> yeah, this it's is a, a unique wild kind of story. Interview. Yeah. It's super unique. And I, I realized that when I was in it, I realized it when I was in the job for 11 years, I realized it. And even now telling you the story, I think, Oh my God, that did happen. That's amazing. You know, yes. I, I never lost sight of how mm. incredible that was. So she walked in a few minutes later, uh, introduced herself, sat down as you would expect from Oprah. She just instantly made me feel calm and relaxed. Um, and, and, um, you know, we, she started asking me some questions about my job <clears throat> at the time. I was an executive assistant to Jan Wenner, the founder and publisher of Rolling Stone. I was the second assistant. Uh, Mary McDonald O'Brien was the first assistant at the time. And, um, so we just started talking and Tim was asking questions and we were all three talking and I want to tell this little nugget. There was one point where the waiter came over and said, what can I get you to drink? And Oprah ordered a um, Chardonnay and Tim ordered a Diet Coke. And I had that moment of, oh, do I order the wine wow, what? Oh, or the no. Diet Coke? <laughs> right? It's a trap. And yeah, I really thought that thing like, oh my God, <laughs> what do I do? What's the right move? And then I just said what was truthfully me. And I ordered a glass of wine and I think Oprah said something like, Oh, nice choice. You know what I mean? So again, even something that small, I was simply being myself oh my and God. I wanted a glass of wine. So I had a glass of wine. Um, but, but also anyways, Oprah had a glass of wine. So that helped. Yes, for she sure. Ordered yes. Water. You weren't getting that Chardonnay. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, exactly. I would be like, clear. I'll have the iced tea with the yeah. raw sugar, please. I'll have the milk. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With a straw. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, we talked for about maybe 30, uh, 35 minutes and I will always remember this. And at the 40 minute mark, she said, um, so what's your plan? And I said, what do you mean? What's my plan? And she said, you know, your life plan, what's your plan for your life? And I said, um, in that moment, I thought to myself, oh, crap. I don't, I don't really have a plan. Should I tell her again? I had that thought, should I tell her what you're supposed to say in an interview with Oprah Winfrey or do you, mm -hmm. do I tell her the truth? And I went with the truth and I said, you know, well, honestly, um, five weeks ago I had been sending writing submissions to the head writer at the Rosie O'Donnell show for the past 10 months because I wanted to be a comedy writer for Rosie. They were not responding. I never got a reply to any of the FedExes that I sent 
which was a block away from Rolling Stone. And so uh, five weeks ago, I was on the subway. I said this prayer, okay, universe, source, God, clearly you don't want me to have this job with Rosie. So whatever it is you want me to do, every atom, cell, and molecule, and my body, mind, soul, and spirit is open to it. Show me what it is, be really clear, shine a big fat spotlight on it, and I will do it. And I just release that intention. And then five weeks later, I get this email from the recruiter um, about this job. And here I am sitting with you having a glass of Chardonnay. So if you leave this interview and you feel like I'm the right one for the position, then I would love to be your chief of staff because it marries my seven years of experience as an executive assistant with what I'm passionate about. And what I'm passionate about is what you are doing on the show, in your foundation and in the magazine, helping women and children around the world. But if you leave this interview and you feel like, oh, she's nice, but she's not the right one for the job, then that's okay too, because that means there's a better chief of staff coming for you, like right around the corner. And if this isn't what the universe has planned for me, I cannot wait to see what's next. And she just looked at me and we kind of held eye contact for like 1001, 1002. And she looked at Tim and said, okay, Tim, let's bring her to Chicago. (gasps) Yeah. And then he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you know, oh God, we should have vetted her before this interview, you know? Um, And it was, but, but she and I looked at each other And in that moment, it was, we looked deep into each other's eyes and I felt like she got me, I got her and boom, we, we understood, we understood each other in that moment. And then of course they got me out to Chicago and I had like all these interviews from 6am to 6pm, a full day of interviews at dinner the night before. So it was a lot of vetting. Um, and then I eventually, you know, I think it was like a Two months later, a month and a half later, I moved to Chicago and thought, oh, I'll go for a couple of years. And I stayed for 11 years until wow. the end of the show. Yeah. What a story. I love that <laughs> because really what it what I learned in listening to you is that, well, obviously from besides being yourself, it's also being able to be at peace with whatever happens. And I think sometimes when we go in for opportunities, I I will be the first to admit that I've gone in for job interviews and feeling as though if I don't get it, I'm not, I'm not going to be satisfied. I, I, it, this is it, this has to be it. And if it's not it, then I will crumble. Um, Mm. and I've gotten better at that, obviously experience Mm -hmm. and failure and age, uh, puts a lot of things in perspective. That was mostly my behavior in my 20s mm-hmm. when I just felt like, well, hard work should just speak for itself. And A for effort and resumes, you know, are everything. But it's really about connecting. And it's about mm-hmm. if you're going to be spending all your life with this woman, which you did for 11 years, y'all better like each other. Yeah. And I will say, um, I will be the first person to say, I am not the best executive assistant in the world by far. I mean, it's shocking to me that I got as far as I did in that line of work. But the reason why I excelled at, um, I think, you know, Jan and Oprah even met each other. Jan from Rolling Stone and Oprah met each other at a party once. And she was like, oh my God, she said something really great about me and, and how I had helped her life. And he was like, Libby, Libby Moore. <laughs> and and I'm, yeah, I, I don't Thanks, even mind Jan. saying that. Jeez. Yeah, I don't, I, don't even, I don't even mind saying that now because at the time I was upset. But, but what's interesting is- He was just um, bitter that you left him to go. Well, no, I don't, you know, here's what, here's the truth. 
there, Mary McDonough was the, the lead assistant in that office at Rolling Stone of his office. She had been there for, I think, like 25, 30 years ultimately. And, and she was like, I'm not going anywhere. I need a support person. I was like, right on, because I don't want to be the lead. I want to be the support person. So we, we made a great team, Mary and I. And the things that I had to do as, an, an, as a support assistant, administrative stuff, answering the phone, filing, you know, all that stuff, I hated that is not me. I'm an artist. I'm a comedian. I'm a creative person. And I was in this box doing these things that I hated doing. Mm -hmm. So I can understand when, you know, uh, why Yam would have that reaction because I did not excel at the things that were my tasks to do. But when I worked with Oprah as her chief of staff, managing a team of at the most, I think at one point there were five assistants and everybody was excellent at what they did. I didn't have to do any of it. I oversaw it. I was a macro, I am a macro, major macro manager. Like you're amazing. Go do it. And if you have questions, let me know. Cause you're better at this than I am, you know? And then I was Oprah's key liaison. So I would meet with her in the morning. We'd go over, um, questions. She'd give me feedback. I'd bring my team in, delegate everything and they would go off and do it. So I was really, and I love, I love Oprah. We had a great synergy. You know, we, we understood each other and my whole interest, I believe that I wasn't brought into, you know, in this kind of, when I left, I said, I feel like I'm taking off a Halloween costume. Cause I never felt like, like this kind of assistant type chief of staff type person at all. But I understand in hindsight, why I had all this experience to build this cement foundation for what I'm doing now. And what I learned, I mean, to learn by Oprah's side for, you know, 11 years, my God, the people that I met through her watching the show, two tapings a day, you know, uh, three times a week, all the information that I got there, that's, it was like the Harvard business school of human nature, learning about human beings, um, you know, spirituality, which is my, I love that. That's, that's what I, I, I feel like I went to the Harvard business school of <laughs> life working with her. So that was my role. And you're being recognized for that. I mean, Forbes called you 40, um, 40, women, over 40, 40 women to watch over 40. I wanted to get that right. And they obviously think that you're headed for even more, um, I don't want to say success because we, like, we throw away that word all the time, yeah. but I guess a, pr- a bigger purpose in life and a, and a bigger, even bigger audience and, and connection. Where do you see yourself or where do you want to see yourself in the future? Even though I know part of you sort of like leading, you said you just sort of like are waiting for that big opportunity. But if you had to, if you had to design it, how would it look? Mm-hmm. I would say, um, number one, what I love, love, love doing, and I didn't think I would ever do it. I mean, when I first left the the job with Oprah, I really, I was asked to do speak at conferences and stuff like this. And I would say, oh, thank you so much, but no, I'm going to pass. Because I thought, what? What, what? I don't even, what do I have to say? Like, that's really where my head was. I just, I didn't, I didn't understand it. And then as time went on, I thought, Oh, this might be an interesting platform. As I got to understand who am I, who am I if I'm not Oprah's chief of staff? Who am I if I'm not living in Chicago? Who am I if I'm not in LA? You know, all this stuff that you strip away. Um, it, once I understood who am I more so, because I st- still think I'm un- unveiling what that is, um, 
then, then it comes into light of what you want to do. So I started doing speaking engagements on the, there's a whole circuit of executive assistant, HR, um, managerial, you know, type conferences all over the world. And I got into that circuit and I loved it. So I love, love, love doing speaking engagements. So it's anything from, I've, been to Sydney, Australia and Auckland and um, Rome and Switzerland and Johannesburg. And I just love it. I love the travel. I love meeting the people and I love sharing my experiences in a very open and vulnerable way um, so that other people can say, oh, my God, she's she's just like me, you know, um, because I am. There's yeah. there's no different. I didn't have any hookups at at Harpo at the time. I didn't you know, wasn't like raised with a silver spoon in my mouth and all that kind of stuff. So it's like really about, I call it following the breadcrumbs, which is following your heart, which is following what feels right. And I've gotten fired from a couple jobs earlier in my career. And, and I look back now and go, thank God that happened because it recalibrated me and pointed me in the direction toward the job with Oprah. So Mm-hmm. You, every you know no, I, I love that. There's an expression like every no just gets you one step closer to a yes. Yes, exactly. And, and again, I had moved to New York because I wanted to write for Saturday Night Live. That was my dream. And I was taking stand up and sketch classes in Gotham City Improv and doing all that stuff and got into a little sketch comedy group. And the thing, the whole executive assistant thing kind of fell into my lap. Like I started working with Maury Povich in the early 90s as his personal assistant and then the Rolling Stone thing. And I was kept going, why am I doing this? But instead of, I would say to people that are in a job now that maybe they're not loving, it might be just, you might be gathering information for that next step, that next phase, that next Mm -hmm. job that you're going to love. But back to answering your question, I love speaking around the world. And I've, I've spoken everywhere from the women's jail at um, Rikers Island to ABC Disney and, um, you know, Chibani yogurt. So it's, it's a little bit of everything. I love that. And I'm just open to creative collaborations. I, I have some big ideas and things in the mix that I, <laughs> I can't share right now, but, um, Oh, we'll I'm be keeping we'll open. be keeping tabs on you for sure. I would love to go back to the Libby Moore Gypsy tour mm-hmm. for a second, and I read that you you know, you, you also explained that it was a three hundred and sixty five day excursion. You followed your heart to see if there's truth in specifically follow your bliss and the money will come. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you about that. Maybe that's your is that your money philosophy? Follow your bliss and the money will come. Well, I wouldn't say that is my money philosophy. And I, 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 I honestly, I feel like what my money philosophy is, is when you are in alignment with your higher self. And do you know what I mean when I say that? Well, I would love you to hear you explain it. I think I've heard that okay. a lot and I think I know what it means, but I want yeah. to hear what you, how you interpret that. Okay. So again, um, you know, there we're, we're basically at the core, we're all energy. We know that with people will argue over, is there a God? Is there not a God? Some people say there's definitely God. Some people say, no, there isn't. It's me, my decisions. And that's what creates my life. And then there's millions of little increments in between of what people would call that or not call that. Right. But what we all agree on, I don't know what grade we learned this in uh, grade school, basically that we're all energy. We're made up of atom cells and molecules. We're all energy. Mm -hmm. And, um, we will all agree that 
as people, as human beings, we make good decisions and bad decisions. Every single person on earth can say, when I made this good decision, this happened. And people can say, when I made this bad decision, that happened, right? Each one has a reaction or, or you know, you make a decision and there's a, a, a result that comes from that decision. So whether you call it higher higher self who makes the good decisions and lower self who makes the bad decisions. Let's for sake of explaining it. It's same thing, higher vibration, lower vibration, because atom cells and molecules, which we are made of are moving. And when they're moving, that's what we call energy. Are you with me so far? Yes. I'm, I'm yeah. there. I'm- so when you think a thought, um, oh my God, I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to get this job or this job is so perfect for me. That thought, you're walking into an interview with that thought, you're then putting information into these atom cells and molecules. You're literally putting information into those atom cells and molecules. I feel amazing. I'm, I'm in alignment with my higher self, whatever it is. And as that, those atom cells and molecules are moving that energy, that energy ripples out to the world. It ripples out to the person you're meeting with, who is also energy and receiving that energy before you even walk through the door. So what you ripple out, you get back. Um, so I would say, to answer your question that my money philosophy is when you are, when one is in alignment with their best self, as Oprah would call it, or your higher self or your higher vibration or God source universe, whatever you want to call it, that is when the money happens. Hmm. And when you're not, it doesn't happen. And I have experienced both of those things throughout my life before Oprah, during Oprah and after Oprah. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it's amazing, but it's, it's so simple and it's true, but that's my philosophy. I would say, I've never thought about what my money philosophy is, but number one, when you are in alignment with your best self, your higher self, your higher intelligence, smart decisions, best decisions for you and your future, uh, that is, that is when the money comes. Sometimes though the money comes because we have to ask for it right? We have to ask for it. We have to go in and ask for the raise. We have to negotiate. We have to make our own money and ask for people to pay us. And I I wonder how that correlates. So maybe we could put that into action a little bit, like a really good example of how it happened in your life or how you've seen it happen. Okay. So, um, and and you're 100% right what you just said. So I would say in order to have the courage to go in and ask for a raise, mm-hmm. um, you have to be in your best self. You can't feel meek. Oh, I don't deserve it. Most people are thinking, oh, they're not going to, if I ask, they're not going to give it to me. And they never even ask. So that I'd say in the category of lower self, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy, right? A lower vibration. Playing small as we say sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And let me tell you, it's not, it's not brain surgery. Like everybody's thing goes back to their childhood, whatever that stumbling block between birth to let's say 13 years old, whatever that thing was that happened to you that you're now dragging through your life. That's a theme that comes up in every relationship, every work position, you know, someone at work, a friend, whatever, until you recognize it and start dealing with it. But basically, so yes, in order to have the courage to step up to your 
your uh, manager or whoever you're speaking to, to ask for that money. And even if they say no, to come back again, that takes courage. And that's stepping into your higher self, your higher vibration, your higher intelligence, being aligned with your higher self, your higher energy. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's so it's, you have to be so brave and have such a thick skin to go in and ask for what is deservedly yours, but still we're not, we're not fluent in having those conversations yet. At least I know uh, it's not really something that we learn growing up. And you mentioned childhood, which we do touch on on this show often because I agree mm-hmm. it's hugely correlated to how you how you relate to things as an adult. I feel as though you might have had an interesting upbringing. Um, you don't just arrive at a place where you embody the, the, the mindset that you have, the appreciation that you have for, um, for respecting the higher energy and being, um, what it seems to be like, I know it's a work in progress, but you are enlightened Libby. Uh, and more so than I would say other people. And so how does that, what, what does that say about your upbringing? Did it have anything Mm. to do with how you are today? Definitely. Um, I feel very grateful that I have wonderful parents who are still married to this day. Um, they're in their late seventies. I think they've been married for like 50, (laughs) I should know, but 50 some years. And, um, they, I grew up Episcopalian. So that was my foundation, my base. I don't identify as an Episcopalian today only because it's too narrow for me. I'm uh, what I've learned in particular throughout my life. Um, my aunt gave me a book called Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain when I was about 23 years old. That opened my mind up so much. Um, a friend gave me The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale. That opened me, opened me up so much. When I worked, began working with Oprah, she gave me, um, and of course, everything just exploded and expanded once I began working with her. And I'm so grateful for that time. The one, within the first week, Oprah gave me a book called um, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz and said, everyone who works with me must read this book. That opened me up so much. And then she uh, suggested another book, um, uh, The Power Within by Eric Butterworth. That opened me up. So it was like a blossom, like a rosebud just opening and opening and opening. So to me, I'm grateful for my Episcopalian upbringing because it laid a very nice foundation for me. And yet I'm just so much more open minded. And I believe in so much more the the universe and stars and energy and all of that. So but I will go back to my my parents gave me a very solid foundation. Um, And even when I go home, they're still in the old 1800s farmhouse that, you know, I grew up in and it just feels very grounding. Um, Where did you grow up? So that's in Berlin, Maryland, a little town on the Eastern shore of Maryland, about uh, seven miles from the Atlantic ocean, west of the Atlantic, a very small community, about 3000 people and um, farming community. um, Three, the closest city would be three hours away, Washington, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Um, And, you know, my mom, she used to drive us to Washington to get clothes for like, I don't know, the new school year or something like that. And it was three hours to Washington. We would shop and turn around and come back because she grew up in that area. And before we would leave the driveway, she would say, there there are four kids in the car, station wagon, old Ford LTD. And she'd say, dear Lord, thank you for wrapping the white light of Jesus around this car and getting us to (laughs) Washington, D.C. and back safely. Amen. And then we drive off down Route 50. So that was something I heard as a little kid over and over and over when we would go on these long trips. 
but and and now it's just um that my language my languaging has changed but the energy is the same right so my mom speaks about it in a very religious way in content and then i speak about it in a more general energy way um and yet we're talking about the same thing that's my belief Yes. Isn't that true of all religions? We're all kind of just saying the same thing. Thank you for saying that. Okay. I'm not wow. a religion expert by any stretch, but Neither I feel I. like that's the that's my takeaway. <laughs> yes, I would say that is absolutely my takeaway. We are arguing over – I actually want to write a book about this someday. We are arguing over what to call it. And we're even killing each other yeah. over what to call it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we're missing the power and the magic in it that we all have. That we all have. And we're just arguing and fighting. And I mean, I see it clear and clear and clear. I've been in this experiment that's been lasting about six years now, but it's it's getting even more refined where I got rid of my TV over three and a half years ago. I haven't Googled people in, I think, five or five years, let's say. Um, I've never been on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I, I stopped reading the news during the debates um, because I never watched one debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump because I heard what people were saying. I knew who I was going to vote for. And all I'd spend time with people and all they were doing is talking about this person or that person or why they didn't like them. And I, I'd leave feeling like, wow, I just spent two hours with my friend and didn't connect with them heart to heart, energy to energy. Like if something happened to one of us tonight and we never see each other again or they die, that's how we spent our last two hours. And I don't want the media and uh, media, social media, all this crap managing me. I'm going to manage it. So I stopped as an experiment reading the daily news and uh, to see how quickly the most important news would come to me organically. And it's no more than 24 hours. Uh, Yeah. The news will find you if it's important enough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to ask this question. It's brought to us by our friendly sponsor, Chase Slate. It's a good Mm -hmm. question is what is one big ticket item Libby that you are currently saving up for? Oh, great question. Hmm. I would say um, a house in Cape Town, South Africa. Really? Uh huh. Tell me why. <laughs> uh, my partner is from Cape Town, and uh, we've been doing the long distance thing between New York and Cape Town. <laughs> so people that complain about New York to LA, I'm like, oh, honey, let's, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, That's like a fourth so, of your trip to Cape Town. Right. Like, what is it, 18, 12, 17 hours? Oh, I my God. Know. I think 18, or, yeah. or yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. about 18. Um, so yeah, that's and uh, I I want to be we want to be New York, Cape Town, and another place. So that's like bi continental, sort of like yeah, bi uh, bi coastal. But right, <laughs> telling my friends, hey guys, guess what? I'm bi. Wait for it, continental. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what is a money habit that you practice every day or every week? A ritual, so to speak. Hmm. I would say, uh, and this might sound a little um, woo-woo for your for your um, listeners. We like woo-woo. We dig it. Okay, good. Okay, good. I, I'm every morning. I get up. I meditate. I do intentional thought slash prayer, and then I journal. And in that intentional thought, and in my journaling, I'm always writing uh, the abundance 
of wealth that I have. And I don't just mean financial wealth. That's mm-hmm. certainly a part of it. It's I'm happy, um, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's wealthy in a lot of different ways. It's holding it there. And by the way, I mean, this could be a whole nother conversation, but, um, uh, I, I, yeah. So let's continue. We, we can continue from there. That's it. I, it's, it's intentional thought. It's holding myself in that space. I wrote a piece for Oprah, the Oprah magazine. Oh, the Oprah magazine mm-hmm. about how being grateful can actually lead to more money mm-hmm. because there are many reasons why. I mean, it's just good to practice gratitude in general. It mm-hmm. leads to more fulfillment in life, but it can also lead to more fulfillment in your financial life and more wealth. Mm-hmm. I think because you start to really identify what is important in life and mm-hmm. you focus on those things, um, it's just a better way to structure your your um, your sense of life. Yes. You know, and, and like structure by structure, I mean like, you know, prioritizing and mm-hmm. seeing really what matters. And I think again, to your point earlier, folk, investing your energy towards those things can lead to more abundance, more grit, more happiness, more fulfillment. 100%. And what you focus on expands. Mm-hmm. What you yeah. focus on expands, period. So if you're in that space, which I have been in before, oh of like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make these ends meet? Bah, 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 that you just get more of it. And then you walk into, whether you're meeting your friends or an interview or anything, and you have that kind of desperate energy or that like freaked out energy. So it is essential if there's one message I have in this, in this, uh, conversation, it is your thoughts, create your life. It's been around since the beginning of time. This is not a new thing. Yes. Dr. Wayne Dyer t- uh-huh. talked about it. I My love God. it. Right. You're it's so empowering because your life. Yeah. Yes. The buck stops and starts with you. I think yes. that's another way to so moneyify that thought. Yes. yes. Libby, I want to have you back. Um, a million times over, but you know, whenever, <laughs> whenever there's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll space it out, but I, I can't yeah, let's uh, do it. wait to catch up again. And thank you so much for uh, being on the show and sharing your past and your present and your future with us. We look forward to following you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I, I really appreciate you having me on this show. And I also want to say thank you to Brian for introducing us. And I love and my favorite description you said of him is the superhuman. Yeah, that, that is him. He is a super, a super his human. superhuman heart. Yes, mm-hmm. I love him. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Libby Moore for stopping by. To learn more about Libby, and I hope you will follow up with her, please go to LibbyMoore.com. All of this info is back at SoMoneyPodcast.com. As you know, we have the transcript, the audio, an opportunity for you to send me your questions. Just click on Ask Farnoosh while you're on the site. Either leave a voicemail or type in your question. I'm also still looking for co-hosts. If you're listening and you would like to share the mic with me, I encourage you to sign up. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope that you took away from this episode as much as I did. My God, my world has been rocked. And I hope your day is so money. Money.